at the Center for Education Research and Innovation, we're in the habit of asking questions that matter and looking for answers that impact. But how do you do that? How does a researcher get to that point? What we do know is that researchers are united in their curiosity. What we don't know is the stories behind the curiosity. Let's dive in. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Curiosity Habit. And today I have with me Dr. Therese Stenforce. She's a professor of medical education uh, at the Department of Learning, Informatics, Management and Ethics and professor at the Center for Teaching and Learning at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. Thank you, Therese, for being with us and welcome. Well, thank you so much for enjoying uh, inviting me. Yeah, it, it's great. We saw each other in, in Lyon and I was been looking forward to have this conversation for a long time. So let's just start with how I, we usually start, because as I mentioned to you, this is all about the person behind the research. So it's kind of to get a little bit of a glimpse of who the person is and what they, how the interests evolve in their lives and why they're here, basically. So growing up, can you, especially for me, because I have no background on this, can you describe to me what is it growing up in Sweden? Uh, what kind of things you did growing up? What were you interested in, etc.? Sure. So I grew up in the northern parts of Sweden in a medium-sized town. Um, I have two sisters, uh, one older sister and one younger sister. Um, we spent a fair bit of time outdoors, uh, maybe not tons of time outdoors, like I know uh, from my experience from Canada, that some people in Canada do, but but enough time outdoors, uh, for sure. Uh, we go skiing in the winter, um, and we go swimming in the summer, and um, I tried lots of different sports. We played, you know, soccer and swimming and orienteering and dancing and kind of all those activities. Uh, I was very interested in music. Uh, we had the opportunity to learn to play different instruments through school if we wanted to. So I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Well, I learned something interesting. Uh, I was doing a little bit of a search about you and I found that you wanted to be a baker. <laughs> so yes. what's that about? <laughs> um, I, I don't remember when, when, uh, where that came about, but um uh, I just had this image of, um, you know, my, when I was very young that, you know, my mom would help me read the recipes and my grandma would help too. And, and we would be baking together and that would, would be as I would do as a, as a professional. But, you know, maybe I was four at the time when I had this, uh, <laughs> this vision of my future career. Uh, <laughs> but, but I do enjoy baking. I still, I still like baking. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, um, I suppose it's a kind of an outlet for creativity. Mm -hmm. Okay. What What is baking in Sweden? What kind of things do you make? Um, well, I like baking sweet things like okay. cakes and yeah, things like that. But it's Not similar very... to what we see in yeah. Canada? Yeah, okay. yeah, similar things. What will be the kind of the main Christmas bake thing that you make that like, is very, very cultural for you? Or Swedish. Well, so now it's uh, starting 1st of December is when gingerbread season is on. So I probably eat gingerbread things almost every day. <laughs> I love gingerbread. Um, yeah. And okay. then for, for Lucia, so the, for the 13th of December is Lucia in Sweden. And, and for that day, we always have buns with lots of saffron in them. 
What is Lucia? Oh, so Lucia is an old uh, Christmas-related tradition. Um, mm. Yep, that we celebrate okay. the 13th of December. Oh, okay, and then you for that day you add saffron, you said? Yes, saffron buns. Oh. And there is uh, singing and there is nice things going on. Oh, that's nice. I don't know how I could explain Lucia in, in short in English. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So you mentioned you did a lot of sports growing up. Orienteering, is that hiking? Is what we equate to hiking? Well, it's, it's hiking with a map. So, you know, you have a map and you have different places oh, yeah. you need to go to and you run around in the forest trying to find these different points okay. on your map. So how, how like, what were, have been places where you've been doing that? Uh, no, this, uh, when I grew up, I tried lots of different sports, uh, but I didn't really, um, yeah, nothing really stuck with me. I tried lots of different sports, but not for very long, so I was never very good at any of them. I just tried it for a year, maybe two years, and then I tried something else. Yeah, well, that's what you do when you're a child. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's the other thing that I learned is that you really like experimenting, and part of being a baker is because you said it's creativity. Was there any other activity that you enjoyed from that point of view? Um, that's a really interesting question. No. Did I experiment with anything else growing up? No, not so much experimenting, I don't think. Okay, perfect. No problem. So let's move into your career decisions. And I also learned, which I didn't know at all, that you had a degree in computer and system science. Yes. So how did you get there? Where did you get the back about getting into computers? Let's start there and then we move into the medical education side. <laughs> uh, yeah, so how did I get there? Well, I uh, my first university course was actually in philosophy. Oh. Uh, so I studied philosophy. I studied something that we call history of ideas. Um, but I realized I, I wasn't very good at it. I enjoyed it, but I, I struggled. So so I took a break and um, went to London in the UK to study English. And as I was studying English, I found out that I actually thought grammar and linguistics was quite fun. So, yes. so I actually started studying linguistics and, and I really oh. enjoyed that and really liked that. Um, and then I was kind of thinking, so I was getting to the age when I was kind of thinking, well, I need to kind of plan my future. I can't just study forever. I need to have a plan. Um, and at that time, there was lots of talk about the future in kind of computer linguistics, that maybe in the future, the computers can translate texts for us and things like that, that we were just dreaming about that weren't in place yet. Mm -hmm. So that's why I started actually studying computer and system sciences. It was because of my interest in linguistics. Okay. So in Sweden, when you finish high school, so how does it work? You finish high school and then you take a break and then you go to university or... This is something that you just created for yourself. Well, you don't have to take a break. You could go to university or course date after high school. But uh, yeah. we have, we had at the time at least, very uh, generous uh, support systems for going to university. You could get really good student loans and there were no fees and things like that. So it was quite easy to just start studying and, you know, thinking as you went along in regards of what you wanted to become and what you wanted to do. So I was studying part-time and working part-time and just, you know, taking it year by year and seeing, you know, what am I going to do? Right. And then the move from that to a PhD, that's a pretty big move because not everybody does a PhD. Who inspired you or what inspired you to engage into a PhD program? What's the story behind? 
Yeah, so, so as uh, I was studying computer and system sciences, um, I I did actually really enjoy that. And it turns out it kind of, it reasoned with me very well. Uh, so it went quite well. Um, I found something that I was reasonably good at as I enjoyed it. Uh, but then we also had this big IT crash. So there were absolutely no jobs to be had in, in IT at the time, uh, and certainly not in computer linguistics. So I was really, really lucky and happy to be offered uh, to stay on at the university as a teaching assistant by the professor that had supervised my master's thesis. So, so after I finished my master's thesis, I stayed on as a teaching assistant and research assistant. So the professor I was working with at the time, Harold Shalin, he was very inspirational in that he was completely unafraid of trying new things when it comes to teaching. So we experimented again with um, different ways of, of teaching and how we could best um, support students learning in new innovative ways. So, so that's where I kind of started to explore that world. So um, just give, give me a moment here. So you were working with this professor, sorry, I cannot pronounce his name, uh, but that was in the computer science program and you be, you were a teaching assistant for students in that program. Yes. yes. Okay. So then you your PhD, what is your what was your PhD on? Yes. That? So so after working with him for a few years, we were kind of starting to explore this different teaching methods and so forth. And I actually wrote a few papers about that. And as a research assistant, I was also doing some work with him. Um within the field of more towards computer and system sciences in knowledge management, learning organizations and so forth. So I actually started a PhD there with him. Oh. But after a while, I realized that I was so much more interested in the art of teaching and learning and exploring how to teach rather than the subjects that we were teaching in this department. Mm. So, so I realized there was such a thing as working with educational development full-time. Okay. And I saw this job ad advertised at Karolinska Institute. So I applied for a job as a faculty developer at um, Karolinska Institute. And I started there. And uh, after I had been there a year or so, I took up research again, this time as a PhD student in medical education. Okay, so you have to abandon the previous PhD yes. and start a new one. Okay, okay, great. So, and how was the experience after that? Because, like, kind of, kind of going through computer or computer and system science gave you the aha moment of okay, what I really like is the teaching aspect, not so much the subject. So, what was the experience of moving from teaching in computer science to teaching in medicine? Because those are two different uh, areas. What well, was kind of an interesting moments that you you thought oh i never thought about this before in terms of teaching well that's an interesting question well for me there was a big difference because in computer and system sciences i was teaching undergraduate students uh -huh. uh, whilst when i moved to karolinska i was actually teaching faculty how to teach and, oh. and thinking thinking back now you know coming there to karolinska uh 20 years ago um it, it's I realized how far we had come now in this field since then that, you know, they offered me a job. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's Today, great. you would most certainly need a, a PhD and much more experience before you 
you enter this field. But back then, there was not many people that had a, you know, background and the knowledge and the interest to to be working there. Right. So you basically kind of self grew or self taught yourself because of. If there was not much going on, how do you manage to put together like helping others to be better teachers? Well, I was I was actively looking up any courses I could find and 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 taking them and and with the professor in my former department testing different things, evaluating them, writing them up, and learning more and finding courses. So so yes, I was I was learning as I went along. Oh, so you maintain your relationship with your mentor before and he helped you kind of think through those for a while yes we did oh that's great and then you went to UBC for a postdoc yes how was that experience first of all why did you decide to go there and um, what did you learn in those I think it was a couple of years or something yes yes it was a it was a two-year full-time postdoc it was a fantastic experience um I um I just, you know, I didn't know what to do when I when I finished my PhD. I mean, I, I had a job at Karolinska, but after you finish your PhD, it is nice to kind of take a break and see a new place or do something differently, not just go back to the office the next Monday and continue. Yeah. Um, and and it was actually a friend that saw saw this position advertised and and I didn't know. I had never been to Vancouver. Uh, I'd never been to Canada, I don't think. Um, but um I thought, why not? I apply, and um, no, it was it was brilliant. To it was a fantastic opportunity to to really learn so much more about the medical education research community. Um, I got, you know, the network I have from from those years and uh, the people I met and all the things I learned. It was it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and and from a personal side, what what was memorable to you to this day that maybe you miss about Vancouver? Well, it's it's just the, the most marvelous city, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and and I I still have many many friends uh, that I still keep in touch with from from those years, uh, both you know professionally and and personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, that's great. I I like what you said about it's nice to take a break. Did you suggest that to people that you meet that are in finishing their PhDs before? doing something else later like why did you think it's important to take a break after a phd i think if you have the opportunity it's it's it is great if you have the possibility um mm-hmm. it is i mean the and and to just be fully immersed in in research like i could be in uh, when i went for my postdoc you know just leave the administration behind and just dive in it was just amazing yeah, it's kind of changing your your total brain gears because you were doing more, more administration and teaching, and then you came to do more research. Like I understand, yeah, it's like giving the yes. brain uh, yes. the brain a break. Mm. Yes, as as a PhD student, I was I was also teaching and I was also involved in other roles at the, at the department. But but during my postdoc, it was I was fully immersed in in just doing okay research. Yeah. Now I understand that. I I get a better understanding of that. In terms of, um, you have kind of multiple roles that you play at Karolinska Institute. I want to learn a little bit about the challenges 
that you face, but also what are the unique things that you really like? Because I imagine you do a lot of teaching, a lot of administration, and also you do research. So you have those three portfolios pretty heavy. So how do you juggle challenges and what is the things that you really enjoy about it? Well, yes, it's, um, I mean, it's a struggle I share with with most academics. Uh, I'm not a clinician, so that's one role I don't have to add to the portfolio. Uh, but I do have many administrative tasks. Um, and, and I love the interaction. I, I, I love how I can bring my research into my teaching and I, and I love how I can use these experiences in in the administrative roles that I'm actually, I actually have experience from, from all these different levels. It makes it so much easier to be good in the administrative roles when you're also teaching and doing research and vice versa. Um, so I really enjoy that, but of course, it, when you when you have many different positions, there's always uh, you know the feeling of not being quite you know adequate in any of them. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the main challenge for you. It's more managing the emotional aspect of that. <clears throat> I suppose, and and you know you, I enjoy them all. So you want to do them all full time, but then again, I really enjoy the combination. So it's it's that struggle. You know, there's only so many hours in the day. Right. Yeah, I agree. And there are times when it's nice to not work as well. Yeah. (laughs) So you mentioned about um, your mentor, and I'm always curious about the people behind other people's successes. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about what was, like you said, he was inspirational because he wanted to do things differently. He wanted to experiment. What would be one thing that you will borrow from him? if you were to mentor others or that you already are borrowing from him? Um, yeah, so so Professor Harold Shalin that I work with in my you know, first job in academia, what I really learned from him is, is this, you know, why not just try it attitude? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's test and let's see what happens. You know, what can we do? Let's try it. Okay. Um, and and you replicate that with you. Do you have a students under your supervision, I believe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in in my teaching, I do try to replicate that, yes. Okay. And what about the research? Um well there is a <laughs> there is also a big difference in and as, as I was mentioning before, when, when I started doing research in, in higher education and medical education, the field was nowhere near where it is today, and you could get papers published that would not be published today like a, a simple evaluation of you know we tried this and the students liked it which is kind of to be fair the type of research we did at the time and mm-hmm. today you know you can't really get that published mm-hmm. so so in terms of research there there are higher demands i think yeah. right. how many students do you have with your like is this a group of researchers who do research in a, in an area of karolinska institute or how, what does the group look like i guess uh, so, so at Karolinska Institute, the, the researchers that are interested in medical education and do research in medical education are spread out at different departments all over the university. Mm-hmm. So, so what we've done is that we've created a network. So, so we have a, a network now with about 50 of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever there is a, a, a special guest invited or there is a PhD defense in medical education or there is a very important grant deadline or something like that, that we could inform each other and help each other out. Uh, but but going to, to the office on any given day, it's not as if there are, you know, 
groups and groups of medical education researchers that I meet every day, but we're spread out on the different campuses around the city in different departments. But if let's say there is a, the students, if, do you have a seminar where the students can present and then yeah. everybody come together and that's the place where you gather? Yeah, yeah. So we have so we, within this medical education research network, we have a special interest group for PhD students or people that are looking to become PhD students in medical education uh, or junior researchers uh, where mm -hmm. they can present their work and interact. Okay, that, that's good because a network is always necessary when yeah. you want to grow as a researcher, for sure. Okay, let's move into what I call the small things uh, in life. <laughs> and I want to know, how did you relax after a long day at work? And that comes back to the question of you have so much in your portfolio. When you finally get to relax, what do you like to do? Um, I recently joined a choir. Uh, I oh. really enjoy singing. Um, I don't know if it's relaxing, but it's, you know, it's it's a, just doing something very different. Right. I really what, like that. That's awesome. When did you discover the singing? Little? When you were little? What was part of the music lessons? Or I, I did sing a little bit in school, just the school choir, but but nothing special. Um, and it was just, I just saw this advert in the local paper that there is a choir just around the corner. And I just thought, why not? I'll try it. In the winter, uh, I also really enjoy going for a, I don't know what you call it in English, a, a swim, but you don't swim because there's ice. So there's just a hole. So you just go for a quick dip. But oh my gosh, that. <laughs> the cold? Yeah. Okay. Is, is this a tradition? I've seen that in TV, that people go and jump and then come out. Is this in Swedish? In Sweden? Yes. Um, I suppose people have been doing it in Sweden for a long, long time, but it became very popular during the pandemics because you know we couldn't meet indoors but we were free to go outside whenever we wanted so it was a great way to and also you're working from home so you had more time so so there was a group of us that used to meet by a nearby lake in the morning before we started work and mm -hmm. you know go for a swim and have a coffee outside and then go home and start the day oh that's that's how yeah if there is coffee after the swim i think yeah. i can do it <laughs> <laughs> The, the other part that I learned about you is that you love reading fiction, I believe. Yes. Novels. What are you reading these days? Well, right now I'm reading the, the Nobel Prize winner. Oh, okay. That's good. And um, what is your favorite author? Oh, that's a good question. I read a lot of, of Swedish authors, actually. Um... Swedish authors are fantastic. <laughs> And I can't, I don't have a particular favorite, no, favorite, no. Is there, is there a book that stands out as, oh, that book was the best thing I've read in a long time? Or one that comes to your mind as was really good? Oh, of course, I can't think of any right now. <laughs> I guess I'm lucky enough to read good books all the time. Um, it depends on your mood and, and so forth. Yeah. What's, you know, what's, what really yeah. gets to you or what's good. That that's true. What makes your house a home to you? My two girls, of course, my two daughters. Um, that they're around, and you know, I can hear them in the background. Um, and then going back to baking, I really like a home where you know you can smell food, yeah. or baking, or something like that, or just smell fresh coffee or 
or something like that. Um, oh, that's neat. That's a great answer. It's the senses, right? The smells yeah. in the house. Yeah, that, that's what I want to me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a, that's that's a great one. I appreciate that. Okay, well, this is the end of the interview. Thank you so much, Therese, for spending this time with us. Really appreciate chatting with you and getting to know you a little bit better. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you in the next episode. This has been The Curiosity Habit. This podcast is hosted by Syra Cristancho and produced by Monica Molinero. You can find all our episodes on podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.